Hey, this is Steve Balton. You are here on My Turning Point, where our guest today is Joel Zimmerman, better known to many of you as Dead Mouse, but been a friend for years. Freaking great dude. And dude, <laughs> Joel has no shortage of opinions. It makes for a lot of fun. You are going to laugh a lot listening to this interview. So hang out uh, with myself and Dead Mouse. Thanks. So My Turning Point is the name of the podcast and literally just starts out with the it's a normal interview but then the artist picks a, a sort of turning point moment for them as the jumping off point so uh, right. it could be it's funny it can be personal it can be professional I mean people go all over the fucking place my, probably my favorite to this point though honestly has been Wayne Coyne from the Flaming Lips <laughs> telling me the story because I just cause I, I, no he's telling the story of how he worked at a Long John Silver's in Oklahoma City as a teenager really? and they got robbed at gunpoint and lying on the floor thinking he was going to die is when he decided that if he lived he was going to go into music and not go into the family business yeah I, that's a good motivator <laughs> yeah you exactly know? you know so <laughs> You really have no idea what it's going to be, but other people That's will pick funny. like just you know getting like Gavin Rossdale picked you know getting his first base and going to shows with you know his sister's older boyfriend. So for you, you know, what what is one that you know sort of stands out? Uh, I mean, what I think you know, obviously being a big participant in my production design and and uh, you know, kind of being hanging around a lot of the people that like you know build the show and make it work and all that stuff and not being separated from that has really inspired me to be like, well, I like my shows now to be like an extension of audio and visual, you know what I mean? Of from me, you know, as opposed to just like a audio and then some maybe cohesive or non sometimes non cohesive other artist, you know, kind of doing his light design and his LED content and video clips and stuff like that. So that that was like a that was a fun turnaround for me because then I was like learning 3D applications and coding and how show systems work, you know, and all that stuff. So we we did a we did a good amount of that. Uh and you know, I took a lot of, you know, that little bits and pieces of that knowledge and then just kind of took it home and then studied and learned on my own and and then the next time we did a big production, you know, I had a lot to offer in terms of, well, let's use this system. And they're like, "Oh, wow, okay. You know this? Okay. Yeah, yeah we'll do this, this, this." And then I'm like, "Yeah, because my my music world technology up there will communicate with this in this way, you know." And um yeah, you know, it's still a learning process, but been well, fun. So when did that start for you? Uh, the, well, really, like probably about four years ago, five years ago. On the on, I, I think since the Cube, really. You know, probably since Coachella when we mm -hmm. when we did the Sahara tent or whatever with the first LED head and the first cube and stuff like that. Uh, some of those systems were like kind of alien to me, and I just kind of let them do their thing. But then, you know, over the years as we've done production meetings and stuff like that, I was just like, oh, I should probably take the time to learn this and. And then when I say it needs to do something, I can, you know, explicitly say what it needs to do and then it gets done, you know, as opposed to like, hey, can you, I don't know, can you make it different? You know, you know? Yeah. I would imagine as well, though, it's also something that makes it more fun for you. Yeah. Yeah. Keeps me from going crazy. And it, and it's good to kind of break from music, you know? Uh, I, I, I don't know. Like, sure, I guess I would consider myself a musician professionally and, you know, I would, you know, my job is to go into the studio and come up with musical ideas and stuff like that. But honestly, it gets not boring, but taxing after a while. And you kind of hit the, you hit the bottom of the well sometimes, you know, and it's good to take like, you know, 
for some artists, you know, like a month off and, you know, do things you enjoy or, or challenge yourself with other, you know, things. Um, but for me, it turned into like a couple years because <laughs> uh, it was just bad. It was like the perfect storm of moving into a new home, having to deal with all that stuff. And you know, it was my first home and getting married and this, that, the other thing, you know, and all these things just kept happening at once where it's like I took this really long break from music and, and, and dug more into uh, you know, visual, uh, digital design and stuff like that and technology and show technology. So, uh, you know, now it's rounded up, you know, where I've, you know, hit my, I think I know enough to tour it and I'll apply that knowledge to touring and stuff like that. So well, while the tour goes, I'm going to get breaks at home and first place I'm going to be is in the studio, you know, doing more music, you know, and now I'm, the well is filled up again and I can dig around and start uh, making new music, you know. It's funny that you say, I guess I'm a professional musician because, you know, I got to be in studio with you when you were working with the orchestra. When you have moments like that, does it make you feel more like, a, you know, uh, I don't really get I don't, I don't really get off on like self-validation on what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Because I, I kind of evaluate myself as a person as like who I am as what I'm doing at the time, you know, you know, mm -hmm. so if yeah. I'm a I'm a digital artist. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like or I'm a show designer or I'm an L D or whatever. You know, whatever flavor of the week is, it's like, you know, if I'm out on a jet ski for a week, I'm a jet ski racer. You, you know, that's I just kinda identify with myself in, like in that moment <laughs> as opposed to trying to summate all of these things <laughs> that I've done in the past, you know. Like, so that's what, funny what when you do you do. Yeah. So when you fill out your customs forms when you travel, does it? Vary? Oh yeah, yeah. I swear to God, it does. It actually does. It have does. You ever down, have you ever written down? Sometimes when you're going through the border and you know you just don't want to put musician because they kind of like side eye you. You know what band are you in? And then I, just to avoid that conversation, I put producer sometimes. But now that's kind of become a synonymous term, like because they know you're not producing film, so they catch on to that quick. And then I, I just say, you know, like. Uh, but I've, I've done some fun ones, you know, like tourist or, you know, stuff like that. So it's just like just to avoid the the talk about what band you're in or, or you know, or even if you don't put anything, they just see the neck tattoos and they're like, OK, what band are you in? I'm like, All right. So have you ever pretended to be another band just to fuck with people? Yeah, well, no, no, well, not with customs. Uh, they, they get they get a, they get a little cranky sometimes if you try to be funny and they don't want to be funny. So you have to wait for them to be funny first, uh, and then I'm like, well, have you ever heard of Metallica? And they're like, yeah. Well, we opened up for them once, or, or like some stupid like that. But yeah, I just say Dead Mouse and assume that like I don't know who that is, and I'm like, yeah, well, it's what it says on the form, so. <laughs> But you've never put jet ski racer, huh? No, 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 not yet. Got Got you actually have to do a race. So now it's funny, by the way, because now that you are on tour this week, yeah. or you're you're on tour and you have the five shows coming up this week at the Palladium, what would you define yourself as this week? Is is I'm it busy? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think. It's like eight shows, like including the after parties and all that stuff. So yeah, I I I, I identify as busy. Um. No, just you know the the dead mouse thing and and the the show as it goes and stuff like that. But uh, we've the way that the the show is built and the systems that we use to power that show is like a, there's a chunk of it that I can take away into the hotel and work on the show like as you see it, you know, in my hotel room uh, with a you know semi powerful computer and a couple of laptops and stuff. And uh, so on, you know, now. And times I'm actually literally not performing. I'm probably just hold up here, like thinking, "Oh, 
I want to change this track up and in the way this visual works or tweak this and tweak that. So that's kind of in previous interviews about the show, I've said, you know, the show is modular. So it's constantly being worked on. Uh, it, it's kind of cool that it's like a tour that's in development that will always be in development as opposed to the, okay, uh, you know, spike it, you know, and that's the show, you know, which tends to be the case for pretty much, you know, a lot of people. And then maybe after 20 shows, you know, oh, we will add a new track or we'll play some of our old stuff because the fans want to hear the old stuff. You know what I mean? So it's a, it's a, it's a good place to be because I'm just constantly occupied with that. I imagine as well, though, first of all, for you, it's creatively inspiring because, you know, like, it's funny, like, Joe Elliott was just here, right? And we were talking yeah, about it's so random. I was like, oh, hey, what's up? <laughs> it was a little random. I, I mean, don't know I, you, you don't know me, you're a nice guy. I, I've had more random, I think the most <laughs> random day of interviews I ever had, too, in the same day was Barry Manilow and Johnny Rotten. What? What? <laughs> I don't think that could be taught for the randomness. Does, he, does Barry Manilow still look like Barry Manilow? He does. Does he still? He's actually he's a like freaking a cool dude. Yeah. Guy? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Really cool. Well, you know. Yeah. No, I haven't but, seen him like lately. I just yeah. know the classic Copa, yeah. Cabana. But so so this being said, this is not the most random day of interviews That's, for me. You know. But all did the they interact? Uh, no, because they were both phoners. So Aww. yeah, that was that was a, so. This was at least you guys got to meet. Right. But right. I was going to say it's fine because we were talking about for him, right? They just did the Vegas residency. Def Leppard did. Right. We're talking about the fact that you know for them because they don't do these types of runs normally. They're a huge fucking arena band. They go out. Right. They play the like form. Oh, were they before or after Donnie and Marie? <laughs> they were there after. <laughs> nice. you know, Vegas is cool now. You know. As oh you know, yeah. Let well, me tell you. <laughs> well, you were one of the first people to get in there on that residency thing. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, as a DJ thing, and then yeah. that just all went south for the whole everything. So, yeah, yeah, but it's you know, but we were talking about that for them. Oops, hold on, I'm sorry, that's me. Um, <laughs> and that's actually Alex checking if we're in studio, but we're in the middle of the podcast. Right. So anyway, what I was saying is they were talking about the fact for them they got to mix it up and do stuff they don't normally get to do, you know, and they would do songs that they haven't played in 25 years because right. they had the 12 nights there. So for you, I imagine when you do uh, like eight nights at the plate or the tour is still yeah. ongoing. I, 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 I'm, I'm not making any assumptions here, but I would guess that, you know, their shows are probably not very technologically heavy. You know, like they'll have an LD who's just basically, you know, freewheeling it up there, like moving lights at a certain time. So, you know, changing a song is just a matter of playing a different song, you know? Yeah. They're not, they're not locked to, you know, electronics and time code and uh, OSC and network protocol and, you know what I mean? And very sample accurate, precise movements with, you know, moving lights and stuff like that. So I, I can imagine, sure, yeah, you know, just out of the, not the frustrations of, you know, having to play, you know, the same set, the same set. Yeah. And then just, you know what, let's just bring out like Copacabana, Barry, you know, like <laughs> whip it out, like as if it's not like the, the main event at his shows. But um, yeah, like that, I could see that being like a lot easier to achieve, like kind of just before you get on stage, kind of mention uh, your guys at FAH. Oh, by the way, we're going to, we're going to do this and do that. And then that's usually as far as that programming goes. But my programming is got to be about, you know, three, four hours in a hotel room, resequencing, reshaping and, and doing things to make sure the desk gets the right information at the right time. So it's not like I can just go, you know what? I think I'll play Angel of Death right now, <laughs> you know, and then slam it. And then all of a sudden, all the content's like cohesively you right. know, in sync with the song. But as you say, the tour, the, the show is kind of modular. It, so, yeah, it yeah. is getting to that point. But it's just, it, show one wasn't quite there. And it's like, God, can I 
can I just denounce <laughs> the tour for six months or a month? You know, we're so close because it's it's no one's done anything like this before. Um, in in terms of the way we're delivering the content is we're using uh, a, an already obscure protocol, obscure software, and uh, great software, but just not common uh, to the industry. And uh, we're inventing technology for this. I'm having custom VSTs written, and uh, we're inventing protocols for communication between my stuff and their stuff and and it's um it's it's kind of risky because we get so close to finishing something and then we find a way better we have some moments where we find a way more efficient way to do this that doesn't cause this problem anymore but we have to rebuild everything again you know so there's been a lot of there's been about three or four oh shit reset moments where it's like when we went to almost having a show done and it's like dude we've been doing this wrong the whole time oh god oh god now we have nothing uh tour <laughs> starts in three weeks and we literally do not have a uh, playback system or anything so you know it's scary for we're flying by the seat of our pants in other words so yeah but i mean i imagine as well because i talk about this with artists all the time too i imagine there's a certain sense of adrenaline that comes from that versus you know like if everything oh, is just perfect if and it it's wasn't like, if it wasn't backed up by expectation <laughs> it would be awesome it would be such a rush but unfortunately they go hand in hand right like the only reason the adrenaline's flowing is because oh god this has to be done uh tomorrow actually you know <laughs> and i'm still i'm still i got three things left to do in the hotel room before we even play because if i were to go i'll admit right now tomorrow is not ready right now it will be because mm-hmm. we have all night tonight and some of the day tomorrow and I, I feel confident that we'll do it. But just, dude, that's scary. Like, I, if, I mean, I'm probably going to regret saying this, but if Live Nation had any idea how fragile <laughs> this was, I don't think they would have written me a check for five bucks. <laughs> they would have been like, what are you doing, dude? Because it goes from like, I don't have a show. I don't have a show. Five minutes before show. Okay, it's done. Ship it. <laughs> pretty cool though but it's it's what we do you know yeah so. but it's, it gets the adrenaline going for now and then <laughs> yeah, yeah. in a month from now it's like I, it's funny because i'd be interested to talk three months from now when the show's like clockwork and you're probably <clears> like <throat> it's funny because you were telling me before we came out you're like oh, i just want to be able to relax play video games and if i talk to you in three months when the show is like maybe clock, maybe you're gonna be like dude i'm so fucking bored <laughs> no 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 the new zelda came out <laughs> breath of the wild 2 is coming out soon are you kidding PUBG, <laughs> I, I, the, it will always be there for me no way. Yeah, no, no, no. I was serious when I said that. I, I, I really want to get it to a point where it's so modular, and then I can still do all the things that I want, play the songs that they want when I want, and have fun up there performing, as opposed to constantly eyeballing all my monitoring systems, <laughs> making sure all these you know bits of information are going to and fro. Uh, so once once that phase of the tour wears off, then the shows, like again, perceptively, I think from the audience, no one's really going to know. The difference between, you know, because I I sweated bullets the first two couple shows in uh, Dallas area. And everyone's like, wow, this is great. But the whole time I'm like, but wait till you see it when it gets to the point where I want it. You know, where I can relax, perform, have fun, and and do some off-cuff, you know, synthy stuff. And But right now it's just been like like heart surgery, you know. What is so damn funny about that, though? Is because when Joe and I were just in here and he was talking about doing songs that and how like if you do a residency, how you know it'll change from the first night to the twelfth night, yeah. And no one in the audience will know that, but that's the the thing of the artist is is the artist. The artist knows. The artist knows, and the artist also makes himself crazy with it. Absolutely, I, that was you my know? first announcement after the completion of the first show with no arrows. I go, guys, I'm not gonna lie, first shows always suck, <laughs> but this one was it was good. It it worked, you know. 
like no catastrophic failures. So that's that's key. It's funny though when you look at that. I mean, for you, is it? Uh, you know, I guess that kinship, regardless of genre, regardless of music, regardless of age. Oh, that's universal. Yeah, every yeah, artist yeah, yeah. is fucking. You know, yeah, yeah. Remember Nine Snails yeah. here on the fifth show, <laughs> and they were like, you know what? I'm not gonna lie, that really sucked because we're tired. Yeah, we're phoning yeah, it in. Yeah, we're <laughs> phoning <laughs> it in. Yeah. He's like, we're not gonna phone it in because you know you're here, but we are really tired. Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. I admired the hell out of him saying that. Yeah, well, for sure. I, yeah. I can totally relate, as you will see in about four days from now. <laughs> no, I'll be fine. Oh man, it's funny going back to the mix of the technology and the music, though, and, and the visuals and all that. You know, it's interesting because what you're talking about, I imagine, it's almost like bringing in another sort of. It's like when someone, you know, going back to the orchestral thing for a second, right? Mm-hmm. When you get to hear how someone else interprets your work or you get to bring new elements into it, it changes the songs for you and it kind of reinvigorates them. So for you, are there songs that as you've merged them with the technology and also the new visuals that you kind of develop a new appreciation for? Absolutely. Or- Absolutely. And a matter of fact, that's happened a couple of times on the development of the show. It was like uh, our our gurus, this is an old track of mine, but I, I've been seeing a lot of bumps around on the on the interwebs about hey well, how come you don't play this anymore and i was like how come i don't play that anymore it's like it's kind of like a fidelically cool track and stuff like that so uh i've actually remastered a lot of my old songs like I've, I've opened the project files and then done them up better because you know they were done in years of lore when i had you know not amazing mastering skills and stuff like that and just for the sake of getting it out so i kind of gave them reboots um so it's kind of cool. They, they've turned into like these new productions and I've given them new visual elements and stuff like that. So just kind of breathing life into some of the older stuff that I'll bet you, you know, two or three people are going to leave the gig going, oh, I like that new track, you know. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny for you when you go back and, and, you know, do the remastering and then you can sort of, you know, hear it now versus then. I imagine it's also a really interesting way to see how you've changed as an artist and producer. Are there things that you notice Um, now? I don't know. Maybe my ears are getting older, or or something like that. But it's like I'm really listening to a lot of my older stuff, and I'm going, "Wow, you know, like, ooh, what was I thinking about that <laughs> low frequency there? You know what I mean? It's just so offensive." And no, 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 you know. But it, it's songs like "Strobe," like it was, was like, um, I guess what would be refuted as my all-time greatest hit or whatever. You know, when I listen to it and compare it, you know, to to later productions that I've done, I'm like. Ugh, I could have done so much better. Not in terms of musically. I think the music part and the arrangement part of that track is just fine. Uh, but it's just the sonic, you know, body of the way it sounds. The kick drums a little too, you know. And I'm like, yeah, I, I should really redo this. But it's like I don't want to be that guy clinging onto the same track and then just remastering it every five years. Just do something better. But it's funny how you evolve as a as an as an engineer. Uh, I suppose it's not so much a musician because, you know, a lot of musicians just kind of hammer their shit out and pass it off to a mix engineer and the mix engineer does all the magic and stuff like that. Whereas maybe the mix engineer loses sleep at night and listening to an album he did like six years ago versus the one he just did last week. Um, But because I'm kind of that same person, I I take a real critical approach to my music in terms of the sound of it, not as the arrangement or the music of it. Yeah, it's so funny though, because again, going back to the, uni- the universality, as we talked about, every damn artist is their own, you know, worst critic. Yeah, yeah, you know? I suppose. Well, they're less toxic, but yeah. 
<laughs> but it's, I, I, always, <laughs> I always like to tell the story of it's funny. I got to interview Don Henley once and, you know, consider one of the all time great songwriters, right? What? Don Henley from the Eagles. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he was telling the story of how, you know, for him, he's like, I never like to say this publicly, but every single time I hear Desperado, all I hear is that we were 24. I was 24 when we recorded that and I wish I could redo those drums. Right. You know? Yeah. yeah so yeah. I think it's funny. I mean, for you, how do you learn as an artist to sort of let that go and be like, you don't, you don't, yeah. you don't, you take it to the grave, man. I'm sure that he's, <laughs> he's banging his, if he was thinking about it right now, he'd be like, ah, you know, I that's just the thing, you know, there's no completion in, in the world, really. There's no satisfaction of, you know, finished, finished, I'm done, you know? Well, but as I always say, if, as an artist, if you had that sense of completion, and this applies to the tour as well, if John Coltrane had thought A Love Supreme was the perfect work that he could ever do, what the fuck is the a point of an artist of going on? Right, so right. if this tour was the ultimate dead mouse tour that could never be topped, you'd be like, cool, well, what do I do now? I'm going to go retire. Well, yeah. You know? Yeah, and then do what while I'm retired? What, write music for fun? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to work on other people's shows and, and stuff like that, which I've also considered. But. All right, so, so what artist would you love to like produce a show for visually? Visually? Um, yeah, <laughs> this is going to sound so cheesy, but I would want to do Zed. Okay. Because that kid's got the money to throw <laughs> at LED wall. You know what I mean? Like this kid is, he knows no bounds when it comes to budget in terms of LED. <laughs> you know, it's like go to the drive-in theater and times it by like 40 wide and 20 high. That's this kid's like fixation with LED walls. So he's got, <laughs> he's got the surface mount tech. Um, and, I, and I actually just saw a, a, a couple bits of his recent tour um, with his uh, ring thing. And it's, it's cool. Like, it's it's a neat piece of engineering, I guess. But what really got me was the the how on point the LD did his job, you know, because this kid's got like you know he's probably got about forty Mac Vipers on the bottom in a circle, and then forty up on the top, and they do this like cool chase thing. And I was like, oh man, I wish I could just play with that for like a little bit, you know. And so then, what, what and would you do with it? You know, replace the music. And, yeah. <laughs> so basically, it's not necessarily so much that you want to produce this show. Yeah. You want to just you just want to stage yeah, 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 yeah. There yeah. you go. Yeah. No, I I I think a fun show would do be like um, uh, I'm on Tobin. I'd I'd like to do a visual take on that, but doing like a whole show would be really an undertaking, um, because it's just like so much good stuff that you know you, I get lost in uh, having to come up like I get lost now even with my kind of simple 4-4 stuff and you know oh how should this look and how should these things work right you can do 2 or 3 and totally different and original things but as soon as you get up to 10-15 you start like I'm kind of out of ideas you know um, but I, I would like to do a lot of like filmography and CG compositing stuff you know, for for a show like Ammon's, but um, yeah, that'd be fun. That's right. We talked to you last time too. For what the fuck was the film? The Polar. Polar. The, yeah. yeah, yeah. The Netflix. I mean, that was cool. Is that something you want to do more of? More scoring and more. Film? Yeah, when I get the time, when I get the downtime to do that, because it's just like at that time I was just you know on the hump of you know kind of the end of my break and then before the tour you got a month. Hey, I'll do the soundtrack, and and it was good. I it like honestly it didn't even matter about the picture or anything. You know, mm -hmm. not to say I I I try didn't it didn't need to be cohesive. I just have to make music. No, of course it was cohesive in the sense that I was watching, you know, a little. Uh, 
pre-cuts and stuff like that and scenes uh, they would give me and then I would do my best to kind of you know interpret that musically and stuff but it, it's just good entry point because you got to start somewhere you know what I mean like I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure Hans Zimmer didn't crack out Batman you know because it's my it's my first try you know <laughs> yeah and we talked about the fact too at the time you were also down with working with Netflix because it gave you more creative freedom uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They and totally so- did. They, it was so awesome. It was like, hey, you know, do this. And uh, and then, I, I, funnily enough, I ended up like making the majority of calls like, yeah, scratch that. Here, yeah, I'm going to redo this. You know what I mean? And this is better. And they're like, oh, wow. Okay, it is, I guess. You know, like, you're right. And I'm like, okay, awesome. Uh, you know, I, and I had a discussion with, um, what's his name? Jonas. Um, uh, and he was like, you know, he's like, I, I love that you're doing this, and 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 this is good and great, and this is how it works. But you got to know that, like, you you have no idea how easy you have it on this particular <laughs> project. Well, not like he was being a dick, but he's like, yeah. he's a super nice guy. Yeah, you know, he's super friendly, super. He's a musician himself. He gets it. You know what I mean? But he's like, but I'm telling you, like, the majorities of directors have people working for them that don't know music and don't know this and don't know that, and they're going to tell you to make it more orange sounding. You know what I mean? And it's just like, and, and then I kind of appreciated that for a while because I was like, well, I'm working with a musician on a music project. That's great. But that's like so kind of, I guess, rare in in yeah. film composing and stuff like that because you're dealing with the heads. You know what I mean? The people who are basically ultimately funding the movie make the decisions. You know what I mean? And uh, they're, they're there might have been a couple chirps from the guys at Netflix, but you know, I, I met all them at the thing, and they were all like super cool, normal, you know, people. Um, and it was it was like even the just the the funders, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Not so much the guys. That, well, I don't know how to direct. I don't know how to do anything, but I know how to throw money at a movie and make it a movie, you know. And that's our job, and that's what we do. So if you know someone has a say and you know, how the music should go, then it's going to come from us and that's the way it's going to be. But it was all, it was very comfy and I, I hope that all my projects are, are like that, but I I think one day they won't be and <laughs> I'll just have to deal with that. But I got the heads up, you know. Yeah, so it's funny because you get spoiled on that first project, but y- as, yeah. as, a, as a film geek, as a film fan, who would be the director that you'd want to work with? I, I, um... <sighs> Because again, like I want to, I want to say Yordowski, but it's like you know, <laughs> nah, he, he that would never happen. We all know that. Or or, or uh, Gil, Guillermo del Toro, uh, meet him in the middle there. You know, like mm-hmm. uh, anyone from Spain, really at this point. You know, <laughs> um, yeah, like I love Guillermo del Toro. Like even his more like kind of washed down movie stuff mm-hmm. that he did, like uh, the the Hellboy stuff, you know, and, and stuff like that, where it's not full-on del toro like pan's labyrinth del toro you know um and who, who a tarsim uh is he the guy that did the fall i don't know no i'd have to look the fall it's called it's an insanely insane movie some of the shots they got in it it's like it's like the biggest budget film i've ever seen that never really made theaters you know what, what i'm talking about yeah it's like spike jones edited it or something yeah like spike jones edited it but was it tarsim who directed it i think so yeah i think it was but the cinematography is very Yordowski, you know, like with the big wide shots, like, you know, a pagoda in the middle of the desert and kind of thing. Tarsim Singh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, those guys, like all the, the artists, you know, not the not not the Michael Bass, you know. I, yeah. All due respect, but, you know, nothing with a, nothing that commands 10 sequels. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's... <laughs> 
Unless it was a fuck it gig, you know, and you're mm-hmm. like, fuck it. All right. Because, I mean, shit, that pays out. Remember the Saw series? And what's this? Who did that? The guy from, uh, no, not a perfect circle. Someone we know. And he ended up doing one thing and then it just got franchised to hell. And Jesus, the checks he made off of that. It was nuts because he went in for like some kind of royalty deal or something. I was like, wow. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, mean, I honestly don't know that I've seen any of the. But I would love. Yeah. I remember back, not maybe five years ago, I pitched. You know, because there was some, there was a little bit of steam and hype behind uh, bringing back Yurodarsky's original Dune. You know, uh-huh. which would have been amazing because God, Jesus Christ, he fucked it up so bad. What's his name? Uh, uh, David Lynch. Lynch. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, like no, he didn't. He didn't fuck it up, like beyond recognition. But it was just so watered down and like nothing like the book, you know. And I was like, uh, and then remember that documentary came out about him, you know, having the book and all that stuff. And and I think there was even some communication between us and Yordowski's camp, like saying, "Look, please, I will, I will spend two years of my life on on this soundtrack, you know, kind of thing." So, just saying. <laughs> you, you know, and and then not, that never came to fruition. But yeah, but it's so funny because the other thing too is like as, as it's for me as a writer, I used to think about that like it drove me nuts to see adaptations of books that I loved. Yeah, and it's like it's never going to be. It's never going to be like it. It's no. never going to be what you want because you you know. In a good book, you put your own sort of spin out. You create your own visual world, you know? Yeah, and then on top of that, like just the film industry in itself is just, again, by definition, an industry and a business. So they have to adhere to things that sell the movie, you know? So I remember having a, a conversation, of, I think it was Chris or whatever, the Batman guy, uh, director, Chris uh, Cunningham? No. Not Chris Cunningham, I wish. Chris, uh, uh, yeah. I, Chris something. And he, Chris so Nolan. I, Nolan, Nolan. Because because yeah. I, I was... Uh, well, it's so funny. It took me a second because yeah. he, everyone always calls him Christopher. Christopher Nolan. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I was like, you know. Um, so I was thinking of Chris I was, Columbus, the fucking... Not I was in and right out now. of... Uh, uh, at Hans Zimmer's place down in Santa Monica and then, um, you know, just talking back and forth with Junkie and they were just starting the the movie and then, and then Chris had invited us up for like, you know, a private screening at his house for like just some cuts and stuff like that. And then I remember like someone saying like, I don't, I'm not sure if it was Chris or it was someone else, but uh, they were like, no, no, you know, this Batman, it's like, it's really dark. It's like super, you know, because I'm thinking like, well, how dark could it like like requiem for a dream dark or just like and so they're like oh you know there's some real moments in it and then I was like huh well that'd be a departure I mean because I could see kind of it going that direction because I remember the Michael Keaton and uh, you know uh, what's his name Jack Nicholas is the Jack Nicholson and N- Nicholson God I'm so bad with names as the Joker <laughs> in it and it was very vivid and very because that's what it was that was Batman to me I'm like nailed it. Because it was comic book, it was you know fantasy, bright colors and everything, and then then he starts talking about oh how we've really dark because you kind of saw it go that way as yeah. the franchise continued, and there was like no this one's like no the man this and he's even saying it dark you know like like this is really dark it's it's really you know there's a lot of mo-. and I was like oh yeah like and then I saw it and I went like fuck off it's like <laughs> it's just it's yeah it's it's less. Then you know uh, it's a, it's more dark than the originals and stuff like that. But I'm like, come on, man, this isn't dark. This is like, it's yeah, you know, <laughs> I don't know, you know, like it's cool, whatever. And then Nons is like, hey, see, I'm gonna go drop some pianos for Inception, and I'm like, all right, okay. 
<laughs> you do you. That's why they pay you the big bucks, right? <laughs> Dropping cinder blocks in some abandoned uh, <laughs> opera hall in Prague to get the big crashes and bangs. I'm like, can you just do that in like Venice Beach? <laughs> 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 right. But then it won't be authentic. Put man. a reverb on it. Yeah. Cool. So what comes up after the tour? What's, uh, the, what's the timeline for more, music? More touring. Uh, honestly, I don't know, but I've got... Uh, here, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll give you the world exclusive on this. I'm doing a cover of uh, Jan Hammer's Crockett's theme. Really? Yeah. It's actually pretty respectful. I, uh, that's what I'll say. I want, I'm not going to say it's good. I'm going <laughs> to say it's respectful because it's not... It's not a blatant bomb bomb right, you know, kind of thing. I, I've I've listened to a few of them, and I'm like, yeah, it's cool. It's got the doo doo doo, you know. I'm like, okay, awesome. But it's not. It doesn't really represent the '80s. Right. You know what I mean? Like in that way, you know. So I've I've t- I've taken some care to still give it an '80s sound, but beef it up and and put it in the realm of you know you could play it at a, a dance show. So I've got that on the burner. That one's done and finished. And I've got like you know four or five other tracks. So it's really just a matter of going home, getting two weeks together, and collecting things and then an album so very likely mid tour you know what i mean as this is the first electronic tour in the world to go on tour without an album which absolutely killed me but we're still able to do it so i'm doing something right somewhere in some department you know what i mean yeah um so yeah uh and it's just because i've been so wrapped up in the show tech and all this stuff it's like yeah so about that new album what are you gonna play on tour uh so wait, Crockett's theme though, man. What what's the Miami Vice connection? Is it just like a big what fan? Mean, like- what's the Miami Vice connection between Crockett's theme? No, for you. Like, oh, Janhammer, fan- man. Yeah. Okay. I named the track Banhammer. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. No, I just it's just one of those mel it's like the first thing you learn kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, well, it wasn't, but you know, it's just yeah. it's a little iconic riff. And and it's funny, I've I've actually played it, uh, you know, I've snuck it in unannounced at a couple like after parties and stuff like that, and I'm seeing IDs, and this is where you can spot the millennial, right? And it's like, oh, whoa, this is this what's this new tune? And it's like it's so blatantly Crockett's theme, right? But everyone's <laughs> like, whoa, whoa, this is like a mashup of uh, Stranger Things. And uh, never-ending story, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying it. And then you know, one comment somewhere, like you know, buried in 300, it's like, whoa, whoa, red Crockett's theme. Like, so there's the adult. Because <laughs> we, we, <laughs> we were just discussing this, you know, that whole thing of, and, and Joe was much more gracious about this than I was. But when fucking Post Malone, nothing against Post Malone, right? Nothing against him. Okay. But when he puts out, Ozzy, when he puts Ozzy Osbourne on a song, and all his fucking fans are like. Oh, dude, that's so nice of Post to give this guy a chance. Who is this old guy? Oh, it's like, fuck, you. fuck. yeah. <laughs> Rip. Yeah, well, that's Gen, yeah. Gen Y in a nutshell for you. I mean, that'll happen, you know? Like, who was Giorgio Moroder when that Punk didn't do it? You know what I mean? It's, 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 it's really cool, that Punk, to give that guy a break. Yeah, they're, they're good dudes, you know? Yeah. Because yeah, I mean, otherwise, Giorgio Moroder, who would have ever heard of him? And no one. Yeah, I mean, what the fuck did that guy do? Besides invent a whole genre of music, yeah, yeah, no you know? Shit. He just did that shit, but, you know, big deal. Yeah. I mean, you know? Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah, maybe. I don't know, man. I will, anyway. I mean, <laughs> this guy with the head. Ah, oh, dude. Cool. What do you want to add we didn't talk about? Uh, Since I know you got to go back and work on your yeah, show. I, I honestly, <laughs> I'm super excited to get back and work on the show. Uh, actually, they're just finishing build-in now, so... Psh, they're not ready till about what time is it? Three forty-four. Yeah, I got an hour. I'll go save some files to a hard drive and get the frack out. 
Uh, cool. So about the podcast, uh, uh, this is new. Yeah. Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, ooh, he's getting all fancy. He's, uh, he's up in 1997 now. He's <laughs> catching up with the times. You know, the, you know what's funny though, dude? Too? How this, many have you done? This is about the 18th or 19th one now, 20th oh, okay. one. Still young. But, yeah. So I've done a couple other ones in the past. And I just wasn't enjoying them because you know what part of <laughs> sorry no no the other ones I did in the past like because part of the issue honestly was the fact that dude, the commitment it's just fucking hard but I'm I do-, do a radio show and I understand what you mean we yeah. we do a mousetrap thing and what I get now it's actually at the point now where management is sending me liners well not not like a script but just things to talk about on the show you know and I got to get it done once a week and I swear to God like. I, I am sure I can muster up an hour of free time in a week because between, you know, sitting on ass watching Netflix and all this stuff, you know, yes, there's the hours there, but it's never convenient right. for me. You know what I mean? I'll always invent something to do that gets me out of doing that and, and saying, Dean, can we get a guest on this week? You know, like, because that's what we do. So you'll notice there's some episodes of Mouse Rap Radio where, you know, the guy will Come on, hi, I'm Dada standing in for Dead Mouse who's sick in bed or <laughs> like or just doesn't give a shit. Or and they do a guest mix or whatever. But yeah, I know what you mean. Like so even though it's like it's such a minimal commitment, it's that one hour and you, it's always and in the even middle though it of seems something. like it should be something fun. Yeah, it, and it, it is it, for the it, first show. Yeah. You're like, oh, this is great. People are gonna listen it's to me just talk. The, it's no, it's the commitment <laughs> phobia of like, okay, now I've gotta, you know. Well, wait, let's say it becomes successful. It's funny, I interviewed Mark Marin not long ago, and not saying that all this will ever be. How, imagine uh, how Howard Stern feels. Imagine how Mark Maron feels. He's over a thousand episodes of What the Fuck. What the Fuck? Yeah. He's over a thousand episodes. You know? Yikes. And it's funny because he was like telling me that literally started in his garage because he's like, I was broke and I had nothing else to do. He's like, I, I figured, he's like, it was a Hail Mary for me. And then he got fucking Obama and Springsteen and all these people. On yeah, there. now it's an obligation. Yeah. It's just a hobby. Yeah, now know? it's like his career. Yeah, well, both. Yeah. Know? I don't but know. Maybe they enjoy it. I don't know. It's funny though because, well, I'm doing this one with Live by Live and then, but it's, it's on. Apple, iHeart, Spotify. So it's kind of everywhere. Syndicate-y. Yeah. And it's funny though, because I did one for a little bit with a company called Podcast One. Dude, they were so fucking douchey. Yeah, and then they yeah. were like, they were, you, you know. You how, were to- how, 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 wait, wait, wait. Explain to me how it is even possible for a podcast syndicator to be douchey. Because things like not backing the show at all and then giving me shit to read like you know like you're talking about the liners they're like oh yeah well you know you have this like great guest on there today you need to go on there and read things about mattresses as as a lead-in and it was funny because there was one episode i did i don't remember who the guest was and i was trying to read a whole thing about mattresses and i just fucking lost it i could not stop laughing oh and then God. the producer on the show was cracking up as why well. was it like sponsored by fucking sealy or it was something? oh <laughs> <laughs> nice Nailed or whoever it. it was, they actually sent me a free mattress. I don't even remember the name of the company, but they so sent that's me- funny because that's something that would get delivered to me without the brand, and I'd, I, I I would stop mid sentence, go, "What is this fucking sponsored by Sealy or something?" And then I could see the panic yeah. in the producer's eyes and the behind the glass, going, "Yes, you idiot." <laughs> And I'm reading about how this mattress was changing technology, and I'm like, what, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So. Just like, just like adding another razor blade to to a Mach Eight Turbo is really going to give you that closer shave. Exactly. You know, you can it only go it- so far with mattress technology. <laughs> I think you know. <laughs> but this being said, like last week, I did Robbie Robertson on there from the band. I had Phineas, Billy Eilish's cool. brother. So it's been cool, you know. Billy Eilish's brother. Yeah, he works with her. Yes, he's a fucking cool guy. I, I, you know what, I. I, I hate to be, I, dude, my head is so not in anything that I don't even know 
who Billie Eilish is. Like, Eilish, is he a yeah. singer? No, singer. Yes, she's like the biggest. She. Yes. Oh fuck my ass. See, that, that's what I mean. Like, I don't even. <laughs> I don't even know. So she's the. She's the new she's queen of music. Gaga. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. But edgy. And fucking cool shit, actually. She's a really cool chick. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. Very, very cool. Comes from like more of a rocker background, but yes. It's, but but wait, see, this is this is a problem I find in music now. Like, I don't listen to the radio. Nobody listens to the fucking radio. I know. There is no radio, so I don't know these things. You know what I mean? Like, I have I have my own closed ecosystem, just like the corporations want me to have. I have my Netflix, my Apple <laughs> Music, and not my MTV, but like you know my my yeah, shit. And MTV. then I have my playlist that don't play Billie Eilish because my playlist just I didn't add it. You know what I mean? So what was so, the last artist you got turned on? That's today? what I mean. Not like I can't even fucking remember. The you know it's scary. I don't. I but. Maybe give, I'm just weird because I don't go looking for it. Give it you six know? months and there'll be a Billie Eilish Netflix special anyway. Probably. Doesn't matter. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Good. In fact, they're probably already doing it. Amazing. You know? I mm. don't know. But she's really cool. <laughs> That's cool. That's good. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. For me, actually- We like, need new blood. We need new blood. Yeah, We definitely need new blood. <laughs> and I will say what was exciting about it for me as a fan was I went to one of her shows early on, right? And watching those fans were like 13 years old who knew every word. And we're so fanatic about it. But what I thought was really cool, and I said this at the time, was the fact that it was like they were actually singing every word because they felt like she was speaking for them as opposed to because they thought she was a fucking cute boy and screaming every word. Like they were real music fans as opposed to, you know, the teeny bopper shit that's been in the past. Is she American? Yeah. She's oh, okay. from LA. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Huh. Like, well, like Grimes kind of stuff or is it? What, what does it sound like? I, I'll just go listen to it. Yeah, I'll, just go I'll listen. Do it. Yeah. Just, now I'm curious. Yeah. All right. Yeah. She's a good singer, I'm presuming. Yeah. Because bad singer. singers don't really. Well, that, well, that's being where we both know the bad singers yeah, and that's yeah, exact, you that's know? That's true. Okay. I'll check it out. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. There you go. You learned something new on the show today, too. Hey. All right. Are we out of here? Cool. Yeah. We're done. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Steve. Yeah. As always, dude. <laughs> Billy Ellis. Show me a picture. Show me a picture. That was awesome. I don't know if that's going to do anything. Hey, this is Steve Bolton. You have been listening to My Turning Point with special guest, Dead Mouse. This was a fun one. And I think that, you know, you laughed as much as I probably told you you would. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next time. You ride the line between numbers and people. Just like the bike, it takes balance. CLA, CPAs, consultants, and wealth advisors. Let CLA, we'll get you there. Clifton Larson Allen LLP. Investment advisory services are offered through Clifton Larson Allen Wealth Advisors LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Sometimes you need to take control to make a difference. That's why with FlexPath from Capella University, you're in control. Set your own deadlines and leverage your experience to move at a pace that works for you. Discover a different way forward at capella.edu. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.